We will employ an exciting, fast, explosive, and diverse offense combined with a physical, punishing, relentless, suffocating defense. Purdy rolls right, looking to throw. Benito gives chase, comes back left. Purdy still looking, sets up, balls loose, rolling around in Iowa State territory. Redmond picked it up. Redmond on the run. Redmond scores. Oh, mama. All right, guys, welcome to the Oklahoma Breakdown Podcast, brought to you guys by SB Nation's Crimson and Cream Machine. I'm your host this evening, Kamir Moravian. I'm joined by the amazing Stephen Brown. Stephen, how are you? I'm good. I'm doing well today. It's day off, so can't complain. We talked about it a little bit earlier. I've literally done nothing all day, so... Those are the best days off. I mean, like the ones you've earned and like you, you had plans, but you decided I am going to do something else maybe, or like maybe you didn't make that decision consciously. It just happens that way. Right. Right. The one thing is I didn't have any coffee and I've been like addicted to coffee like all year. Like I'm up to like two Americanos a day. Oh, no, that's not healthy. That's like we're detoxing today. So now we are doing something like don't get me wrong. In the middle of the semester, I was I was an Americano in the morning and Americano in the afternoon type of person. But year round, that can't that can't be healthy. Are you are you getting like a lot of water? Yeah, yeah, I got my water down here. So okay, well that's helpful then. Trying to even it out. Yeah, I got to even it out. I I got to learn that. I, it got to the point where I had to like drink Pedialyte. I was so dehydrated, <laughs> it was bad. All right, let's get into some stuff. We got some football stuff. Uh, We got some softball stuff. We got some recruiting stuff. We got realignment stuff. But why not start off with this? Steven, have you seen the original Top Gun? Yeah, I actually just watched it. uh, Shit, it was like Monday. Uh, Did you watch it like as a refresher? Yeah, so Top Gun is one of those movies for me. Kind of like, um, oh, what's that football movie? With Denzel Washington. Remember the Titans. Remember the Titans. Where you watch it so much as a little kid mm-hmm. that you just get burnt out. It's like so boring. But mm. uh, going back and watching like Remember the Titans and now Top Gun, they're actually pretty good. I So I was prepping for this weekend to for the new Top Gun, uh, Maverick, you know, whatever, whatever it's titled these days. And I forgot how sad i was about goose yeah i'm not i'm not not gonna say it's pretty much moment i'm not gonna say any more about goose because i don't want to spoil anybody for anybody but (laughs) who didn't see uh, the movie in like 1980 yeah i I was i was i was so sad about 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 him and but i'm looking forward to the new one are you already what do you think about the, the kind of like a remake reboot of the series I'm always iffy on these because it's been so long since like the original movie came out. So like they did this with uh with like Jurassic Park, like they try to reboot it and it's just not the same. But I guess they did it all in like real real jets and stuff like that. So maybe it's cool. Oh I'll give it a shot. Not, did you not like uh part of the Jurassic Park revamp? I didn't like any of the Jurassic World stuff. That was awful. Is that the one with Chris Pratt? Is yeah. Chris Pratt Jurassic World? I don't know. Yeah. I, th- I thought it was okay. I thought it was all right. <clears throat> um, but I can see where you're coming from. It loses its charm. That's, That's all it fair. Does. That's fair. That's fair. So, in other news, the softball team just mud stomped Texas A&M twenty to nothing, and their pitcher was not really. It didn't seem this way. I mean, it could be total something totally different than what the announcers were talking about. Uh, but the pitcher left the the field after like a home run. Like their pitcher <laughs> just like straight up left the field and back into the dugout. And Aaron Miller, he was a former OU player. It was on the call as well. They're like, oh, they're just straight up leaving. And then the next day. Their coach, who had been there for so long, um, is gone um, and like resigning. But to me, like people made the, made it sound like, oh, oh, you made this like such a big deal that this person retired or resigned. Uh, but I think like that coach also is pretty old. 
uh, in the game, like had been around for a really, really long time. And it's quite possible that um, that coach just retired and was done. But the reality of it is I've been, I reached out to a couple people and I reached out to a couple of players actually. And I, and I asked like, Hey, as a softball player, what, if and when your team is down substantially, let's say by like 20 points, maybe if your team is down by 20 points, what's, what's that feeling going in the dugout? Like, like, like when you're up to bat, like, what are you trying to do? And like, what do you think their guess? What do you think their like remarks were? Are you talking about from a, from a and M perspective or from their perspective? From just a player's perspective in general. It's not fun. It's one of those things where you kind of just want to hide your face and just walk away. Uh, probably go to the bar, like the closest bar you can find, and kind of just drink it off. Yeah. So, like, just like the, the, the overwhelming, like, consensus was like, yeah, everybody kind of, like, hangs their head and is, like, really, really depressed. And, like, <laughs> and, like from a player's perspective, they're like, it ain't it like people people like will swing away but the, in the back of their minds they know that there's no way possible they're going to catch up and so just getting mud stomped 20 to nothing after almost narrowly they narrowly lost 3-2 the day before, uh, the day before when was the last time that you really felt embarrassed in front of people and like this was an amazing moment because all of these screenshots of Oklahoma beating the hell out of AM 77 to zero on the football field were like popping up all over Twitter. And so like, when was the last time that you felt very incredibly embarrassed uh, in front of just the general public or like in, in, in front of your friends? And why is it's it been in a high while? <laughs> it's, it's been a long time because usually I've learned to like rebound off like an embarrassment. So like, you, have you seen that video where the guy falls on stage at his graduation? Yep. And then he gets up and just starts twerking. Yep. Like you can always rebound from embarrassment, but you have mm-hmm. to like learn how to do it. So I think like the first thing that comes to mind was, uh, it was high school football mm-hmm. and, uh, we had this like option punt thing cause we played eight man. So it was a little bit weird. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had like clear grass, probably like 10 yards in front of me, but we were down like, I think we were probably like 20 yards back from the first down. So it would have been a little bit of a run, but I could have done it. Uh, instead, I tried to punt it because I have a, a running head start. It's so like a rugby punt kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And to my credit, this thing goes super high up in there, like a lot of hang time. But it goes roughly, I'm not even kidding, like 11 yards. It was bad. <laughs> This is a bad punt. And I was just like, well, I'm going to retire as a kicker uh, after that one. It's like one of those things where you thought you hit it really far because it went so high, but it just like, yeah, never kept on. And it landed out of bounds too. Like it was just so bad. (laughs) Mine involves high school as well, uh, except it was in my French classroom. And I was, I think I was a sophomore in high school. And one of my, what I thought was a friend, uh, at the time, what, what, who, who's in class, he came behind me as I was in front of the entire class. And like, this was a class I, I, I had like a really big crush on a girl And my man's got behind me and he tried to pants me like as a joke. Right. Well, he didn't just get my pants, bro. Like, and like, so it was like this emergency. I had to pull everything up from my knees back up to my waist and like from in the front of the entire class and like half the class wasn't paying attention. But I was like, for those that were, they got the show, man. (laughs) So like I, uh, I kind of just like pulled everything else up together and act like nothing else happened but everybody clearly knew what happened so uh you know it's it's okay to be it's okay to be embarrassed uh especially if your name is texas a&m but uh i I think i think we're fine but anyways uh usa today their uh version that covers 
seniors football, they reported on the, on the percentage of blitzes uh, between uh, what Oklahoma's previously had uh, on defense uh, with uh, Alex Grinch and with regards to Brent Venables. And Alex Grinch's calling card at OU was gap one. Yeah, yeah, we have the single gap scheme coverage. Uh, that's really it. Um, and if you get pressure, a la just uh, just being by being able to get pressure with your front four, especially with guys like Nick Benito, Ronnie Perkins, Jalen Redmond, having just those three guys will and will enable you to get pressure on a defense on an offense. Excuse me. Um, and and um. Alex Grinch, of course, in this past year, only blitzed twenty percent of downs, and he there's a, a lot of times Nick Benito wasn't able to rush the quarterback, and he was actually very vocal about this on Twitter, and of course would have to delete those tweets pretty soon <laughs> after. Um, and Perry and Winfrey did not get the benefit of the doubt of playing next to Ronnie Perkins or Jalen Redmond, uh, and so the defensive line was less uh, less effective, and so you go from Alex Grinch blitzing twenty percent of the time to Brent Venables blitzing about 40% of the time. Um, man, God, what does that look like to you? Because it's not, <laughs> it's not, it's not just like four down, one guy blitzing off the edge. There are delayed blitzes. There are delayed blitzes from the nickel. Uh, there are guys from the safety spot that are delayed blitzes. And so like, what does that actually look like in a Brent Venables defense? Because it is mass chaos if it's a passing down. Right. And you kind of nailed it on the head there with chaos. Um, it's not going to be like the Alex Grinch because Alex Grinch's uh, blitzes were, you know, do a twist up front, um, you know, bring someone off the edge, something like that. Pretty, pretty standard stuff. Mm -hmm. And you let the, uh, basically the speed of your defense handle the rest where it's going to be different is when Brent Venables gets involved, he's going to blitz from the boundaries and blitz from the field corner safety. Um, you'll have some stunts up front that you probably haven't seen in 10 years from Oklahoma. So um, that's going to be a much different look. And what that does is it, is it just confuses the defense. So if you're running like an RPO per se, um, maybe you can disguise pressure. So you, influence a quarterback to run the, uh, before the snap, something like that. So it's a lot of misdirection. It's a lot of movement and it's a lot of where's this blitz going to come from. And that would make sense as far as to why Oklahoma is really looking for a big body at that nickel position and is really looking forward to like looking for big bodies at the quarterback position. I mean, like Woody Washington's already there. He's already physical. Um, but then it shouldn't make anybody like concerned or make anybody think, think any type of way that um that Kanai walker is a name that's constantly brought up because he is a big bodied six foot two like 190 200 pound kind of defensive back like that shouldn't be surprising his name is popping up a lot no 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 because you look at the back end of this defense and you know to alex grinch's credit he saw something that brent venables likes as well and it's a lot of size on the back end so um, you want bodies that can obviously cover, that can move well, but are going to stand up against the run. Um, Cause in the big 12, you are going to see quite a bit of runs. And I'm curious, man, I'm curious to see uh, the get the notes we get out of camp and the things we hear out of camp uh, during the late summer to really see who's really setting themselves apart, especially those, all those transfers on the defensive side of the ball, specifically those defensive backs. Mm -hmm. I really want to see how far they're coming along because I imagine they're going to pick up certain things faster than, you know, like freshmen that are there. Now like Kendall, like Kendall Dennis is getting better. Uh, but I'm, I'm curious about like what that means. Like dudes like Bryson Washington and stuff like that, because clearly the defensive guys know what is coming their way. They know they're getting an elite coach. They know they're getting a guy in staff that's put several dudes into the NFL and high level players in the NFL. Um, and so I'm, I'm so curious to see like Trey Morrison um, out of North Carolina or, um, oh, what's his face? It starts with a C out of Wyoming. The Colden kid? 
yeah, uh, yeah. Colden, and he was like second team all whatever conference that is, like whack, I think, right, uh, or Midwest conference, I can't remember. And so, like, they're bringing in quality guys, and like, they've already got Kanai Walker on campus, and he's already making a big impression with Key Lawrence and Billy Bowman, and there's so many, so many guys back there now. It's wild to think. TJ Graham, kind of, yeah, you want to see right? where, where he goes because he could also fit in that nickel spot. DJ Graham, Jaden Davis apparently is stepping his game up according from the spring. Oh, that's an off-season legend. And of course, of course, that is an off-season <laughs> legend. But man, it's Brent Venables has a decent cabinet to work with. Would you agree with me there? Brent Venables, his cabinet's stocked more so than when Gritch got there. I think that's a hell of a thing. I think it's a hell of a thing to say, right? I don't I think, think they have like an all-star defensive back quite yet, but. You don't put Woody Washington in that tier for this for this group, or like, is it just like there's still something to it, prove? Is it like he's not all star tier, but for this team, he's like the Aaron Colvin, like where he's like super important and could make it like an all Big Twelve team, right? I think he could take the step, but he just okay. has to put it in, in together like consistently at this point. Okay, that's fair, and I think injury has hampered him, right? Right. So we'll see, because. Man, he's he feels like the o- OU's first real like lockdown corner since Aaron Colvin. That's why I say that. Or my yeah, off base, think, my base there. No, he's definitely the best corner that OU's had talent wise, um, size wise as well. Like cover corner, looking for the ball, actually like looks for Instincts, the ball, ball hawk. Right. Yes. All right, so we agree there. Like in like I I just love the fact that you've got Jaden Davis, you've got uh, you've got. Um, like you just said, DJ Graham, and these guys are being being viewed as like backups in comparison to Kenai Walker. He's probably he's making a name for himself on the defensive right. side of the ball, um, alongside of, co- of course Woody Washington. That's before you add in Trey Morrison and, and CJ Coldon into the mix and other guys that are going to get their chances. I mean, in Key Lawrence and Billy Bowman and uh, Venables basically coming out and saying, "Hey, Alex Grinch sp- spread." Billy Bowman way too thin with the amount of things he was asking him to do. He's like, yes, in this defense, you're going to be asked a lot of things to do, but you only have one job and one job to worry about. You don't have to worry about playing corner. You don't have to worry about playing nickel and safety. Now he seems to be thriving at safety back there with key and becoming a hell of a tandem, which I'm excited to see um, knowing that you go from having, um, DTY and and Patrick Fields, and now you're in the hands of Key Lawrence and Billy Bowman with Brent Venables in mind uh, as a guy that's running that machine of the defense. So that's something to be really looked forward to, I think. Um, but something also I'm super looking forward to our SEC coaches in particular, and I don't think Brent Venables will ever sink to this level, um, but. I hope the pet, he does. The, the, the pettiness between, specifically between Nick Saban, who is used to getting whoever he wants on the recruiting trail, including Oklahoma running backs, shout out Jay Bulware, um, versus Jimbo Fisher at AM, who had already, who's already won a title at Florida State, but is now trying to do the same exact thing at AM. And of course, a, a you know, Nick Saban has not made friends with people suggesting that um, uh, you know players are bought on all their teams, including Texas A and M, and even Deion Sanders took uh, a little bit of of of, uh, of, uh, of uh, an issue with that, which I thought was interesting because i didn't i saw that save interview he didn't name drop Dion sanders or anything so like do you think he was feeling a little self-conscious there i think Dion was taking as an opportunity to again recruit i think it was just a recruiting opportunity he saw a uh, way to promote himself <laughs> for like the five thousandth time so i don't think it was anything it had to do i don't think he took it personally but he saw that as a attention grabber per se mm, that's fair and Man, gosh, like, what, what, what do you think about Saban? Do you do you think that is like that? Do you think that is like Saban and him basically like showing us the eventual door on his way out of college football about how players are just straight up being bought from entire teams? 
Do you think that like is him that that there's too much old school in him now for him to do that for this for much longer? I guess. Well, the <laughs> the clock's ticking for Saban for sure, but yeah. I don't think this is a thing where he believes he's on his way out and kind of wanted to let people know along the way. I think this is something where you kind of look at the no huddle and the the speed offenses and and stuff like that. And, and Saban kind of asked the country is like, Hey, do we really want to implement these rules that kind of make this more of an offensive game? And everyone said, yeah. And he said, okay, we'll do that too then. And, and obviously it's worked out for him. So yeah, um, this is another thing where I think a Saban is kind of rallying his boosters to put something together, mm. um, getting some money together. Okay. Um, and I B, yeah, I mean, I can see it. It's just Saban kind of mouthing off and kind of he just he's kind of like a Bob Soups now, like he always has an opinion every off season. I almost said, is he like almost he's like turning st- into a little bit of a Bob? I was like, is he almost stoopsing this these days? Like with like how like how old school he is as a football? Because like Nick Saban is not your new school football coach. He has staff around him that has updated everything, but he's still original Nick Saban. Like, right. still does not care for your feelings, your thoughts. He was v- viewed as too harsh of a coach to coach in the NFL when he was with the Miami Dolphins, but here he is shaping uh, young men, basically, once again. Um, and so I, I I feel that way sometimes, that he's kind of like, it's Stoopsian, if you will, that they are a head ball coach, uh, and that's what they are. Yeah, you're not going to get the bells and whistles that uh, Jimbo is going to lay out there uh, because Jimbo, along with like Brian Kelly and like Dabo Sweeney, like <laughs> those dudes, like it's, it freaking weirds me out, man. It, it's so odd. Is Dabo, Dabo's interesting. Do you think the era of Dabo is kind of coming to an end a little bit? I hope so. God, I, I kind of so. feel like that way. He's annoying to me. Like it seems like a lot of his success is built off really good assistance and, and, you know, Dabo's a good coach as well, but it doesn't seem like he's going to return to that level. Yeah. And like in the thing, we talked about it last week, right. Um, that Clemson was winning national titles with the same blue chip ratio as that. OU had that. OU just, oh, you couldn't get the job done, but Clemson had the right, the, the right people in the right places. Like they had, immaculate quarterback play but they also had a decent offensive line um and then they also had really great defensive line play along with some great linebacker play with a great defensive back instead of having one really good defensive lineman and a couple guys here or there like they had uh above average bodies everywhere but also just like just general bodies in general for brent venables to make his defense go uh, but you had that generational QB with a offensive line that was ready to be physical. And I just think it's interesting to see like what Oklahoma is going to eventually turn into. Um, but what they're not going to turn into is what is going to happen to Texas uh, when they play Alabama this season. Oof. Like I've been like, I have been in contact with, our good friends over at burnt orange nation, um, specifically Gerald Goodridge, who I found out lives in Oklahoma city and we need to podcast with him more often. <laughs> I was like, I was like, we need to get together more often. And he's like, I live in Oklahoma city. I was like, what? I thought he lived in Austin the entire time, but he's a great dude. Uh, if, and he's one of the good Texas people to follow. And even for them and him, like it's not it. And like, he's never a sunshine pumper anyways, but it's, they're not expecting positive things like many people are expecting if they even hold it within three scores like 21 points they'll consider that a moral victory Ooh. uh so like they're not they're not looking forward to that game because it's it's because it's clear it's clear who is the better team and who is who is more physical who's just gonna kick ass pretty much that well, it's texas just very, has very some bad. talent they've stacked some talent in the offseason we always uh, have talent six has come up I think what four times in this offseason, just the mention of Sixth Street and people on Sixth Street. Uh, I don't, I haven't heard anything in, in the rumblings of Tuscaloosa where they're worried about the culture in Alabama. Yeah, man, 
Oh my gosh! And Listen, like Six Street's fun though. And he got and, and he got ostracized by Sark. I can't even. That, that that's such a that's such a big issue to me. By the way, like that the guy gets like kind of he's like, oh, you can't talk to the media anymore because you said too much about how the seniors are on this team. Like, what's that say about you? Like, this kid wants to win so bad, and what's it say about your program? You should say that you're disappointed in him like airing out your dirty laundry but also admit to those faults that yeah there there needs to be a culture shift because if one of your players on the team and leaders on the team is saying that i mean like he's probably not getting it from nowhere because he's he's already getting substantial playing time why why else would he say anything like that he wouldn't jeopardize his playing uh for other for any other reason but since we've last talked um i asked i even asked you this question i asked you if Oklahoma, I actually about the Oklahoma scholarship situation. And if Oklahoma had only one scholarship to give, why they would give it to General Axel Booty uh, over guys like <laughs> LV Bunkley Shelton. And we were kind of like, not sure because we obviously didn't know the scholarships. We don't know the scholarship situation. We don't know who was in, who was out. Cody Jackson accepts that, that scholarship from Houston that same day, actually, I believe. And Oklahoma ends up actually getting, after getting J.J. Hester, who's six foot four, can play to the boundaries in a Jeff Levy offense. You also get now L.V. Shel- uh, LV, uh, uh, LV Bunkley Shelton in from Arizona State, kind of like a more of a water bug guy. He's like five foot ten. Maybe he's more likely five foot nine. Uh, play a slot. Um, what is Oklahoma getting here? And do you expect him to actually contribute right away? Yeah, I think he fits right in um, to this this type of offense because he's a guy that he's not necessarily like you look at the straight in speed by like J.J. Hester. Um, he's not going to blow you away there, but he's kind of like a maybe like a Sterling Shepard where he's just more quick than fast. And he's a guy that that's a good route runner um, and he's very quick on the top of his route. So, um, you know, you look at his cuts, those option routes, something like that. Um, he fits right in. I think I think he'll be a contributor this season. So. Um, you look at the whole core of the, the wide receiver group, it looks like a, a core that's, you know, maybe they're better than the, some of their parts. Um, they have a lot of, you know, above average talent. I don't think they have a superstar. up into that, but um, a lot of really good pieces that they can kind of plug and play now. Yeah. So that was, that was my general next question, because if I'm Oklahoma fans, I'm feeling pretty good about the wide receiver room right now. And so how are, how okay with this team specifically in offense with, you know, you got Dylan Gabriel, you have Eric gray as your running back one and Javante Barnes. It looks like they're going to go in, in into the season with Eric gray, Javante Barnes praying on Marcus major. Um, and then just like seeing what else, like to Walker or whoever else in the running you know, back. Gavin Sawchuk added. In, uh, in, in Sawchuk will be there, but I don't know how physical he's going to be, but he might be, again, like one of those water bug type running backs as well because that's what he seems like. Um, how are, are you feeling now with this team? If the offensive line play, if you were to know going into the fall, would just be simply average? Um, I mean, I don't see why this team couldn't still make the Big 12 championship. They have enough pieces around them. Um, you know, on the offensive side and the skill positions, uh, as well as the defensive side, there's still a lot of talent left over, maybe not up front, but enough to at least get you into that championship game. Um, so if, you know, the defensive line comes along, like we kind of think it might, and the offensive line kind of gels kind of like we think it might, uh, this, this team's a team that could that absolutely win the big 12 and, uh, whether they should be there or not would probably be in the conversation for that fourth, uh, mm-hmm. playoff spot. Man, I and I I really like three or four pieces of on the on the offensive line too. I mean, mm. it's just a matter of getting that fifth guy again back into the fold and seeing how well they can perform for this group. And again, like what zone blocking scheme are they going to run now? That like is now Chris that, Murray going to commit like ten penalties still? Yeah, God. that's your your biggest weakness on offense. And I, I'm curious what kind of zone block or what kind of blocking schemes, excuse me, that Levy wants to run in his offense because, I mean, 
for OU for the longest time, you saw them run a ton of counter. Um, and, and then eventually like last year, they used a lot of zone blocking schemes because that those, that's what was typically working for them. Uh, and even though that wasn't kind of what was working for them prior, used to be just hat on a hat. And, um, what do you think is possible for like, what do you think Jeff Levy in this offense? It's since it's so wide open, what do you think kind of blocking schemes we should expect? Yeah, that's an interesting question. I'll need to go back and look a little bit, but I don't see like they wouldn't continue with the zone blocking scheme. It, it worked for him before the personnel know it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm pretty sure they ran a little bit of it at Ole Miss. So um, it's maybe something where they're going to tweak it a little bit to um, tailor it to Jeff Levy's offense. But um, going into the season, I had to guess it'd be a majority of zone. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, that sounds that sounds that sounds about right. Just like learning, learning curve, but like I know uh, McKay Tower, uh, Andrew Rame, Congel is still there, or Congel, <laughs> whatever you want to say. Uh, Chris Murray's still there. You got Wanya Morris, and you're like just like praying this man like puts it together for this year, and then mm-hmm. it's like figuring out. All right, who's that? Savion Bird there as well. Savion Bird, yeah, exactly. Like, who's who's that? Who's that extra tackle? Who's going to be the extra bookend? And so I'm just really intrigued by the offensive line, but I feel like they're going to be, I don't feel like they're going to be more marginally better this year. Uh, but I feel like they will be like, I feel like they'll be serviceable last year. You couldn't very really run to like save their souls at some points in that points. They weren't able to actually run the ball because that's not what Lincoln Riley was calling. Uh, and so they're not being able to get into a rhythm. I mean, like run blocking, is very rhythm, uh, rhythmatic. Like if you when you think about it, like you have to get into a rhythm with the offensive line. You have to know and keep everybody offensive line in a rhythm together because they operate as one unit. And so if you're constantly just like playing in pass pro, like I'm not saying that doesn't also take a rhythm, but getting into your like blocking schemes for running the ball, and if it's few and far between you're not getting that count right. You're not getting like how many seconds am I supposed to like wait till I pull? Like you're not getting all of that. It's just like just putting the play in motion instead of actually getting into that rhythm of making sense. So I'm really curious to see what happens, but let's talk about the SEC for a second because Ross Dellinger comes out with a piece, right? Uh, talking about SEC uh, from Sports Illustrated and for the longest time, we've been talking about will there be divisions or will there be pods? And in this story that he breaks down, it's it's neither. Um, it's this idea of there's a debate of whether or not whether or not there should be eight games or nine conference games uh, in the SEC, and whether or not that let's say if there are um, let's say if there are nine games um, or uh, yeah, let's say if there are nine games, you typically will have three uh, permanent re- opponents and six rotating opponents. But at the same time, if you do um, a couple of, uh, if you do another the other approach, which is eight games, you could have like a six and two approach. We have you have two permanent ones and six rotating or seven and one or uh, where you have seven rotating and one uh, that you keep and you keep alive traditional rivalries still in the conference. And so like, for example, um, that's not that, but that's just part of it. The other part is that there's intentionality and in scheduling in the sec that w- that would be the intentionality of scheduling the sec where you would see matchups with teams that are highly rated far more often than you would, uh, you know, seeing Alabama's of the world just beat the hell out of the Vanderbilt's <laughs> of the world. Basically, um, it, it would be intentional to have teams play the top, uh, the upper teams, and they're, so, 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 I guess, in the entire SEC, because there's that narrative that they want to scrap pods, they want to scrap divisions, and just have do top to bottom and pick the top two teams at the end of the season to play in the in the, in the conference championship game. And so they want to face other of the top teams against other top teams because Alabama 
had played Florida in other Eastern powerhouses. Of course, Florida, I don't know if you would call them a powerhouse anymore, but like they've had, they have their years, you know, uh, but like Alabama had not played Florida, but once in a decade and they were in the East in the SEC East. And like, that's so odd and so different because being, you know, an Oklahoma person, you know, you expect to play everybody in that conference every year. And so that also means the lower end of the conference. So Bob's in a Bob soups always harped on this. He's like, yeah, they have really good teams at the top. They also have really crappy teams at the bottom that nobody's paying attention to. <laughs> and so the goal is to get more eyes on TVs because you have more top competition playing top competition and intentionally scheduling lower tier people in the in the sec or lower tier teams in the sec against more lower tier teams but also like having their bouts with the higher teams as well and so basically uh it would effectively almost like lift their resumes if you will and at least be a more competitive product to watch which hopefully we get more eyes on tv sets and so the sec agrees that they should play each other more often um but they're at a deadlock with a nine game schedule because the issue with the nine game schedule is every year, at least one team is going to play more away games than they are going to play home games. And that doesn't even include neutral site games and eight games makes scheduling easier. You can hear my dog in the background. <laughs> eight, eight games makes scheduling easier uh, with one sure opponent and seven that can like rotate, but I don't know. It's so interesting. Like, what do you think about this? Like, like, or did you like the pods? Would you prefer an eight game schedule? Would you prefer like three regular opponents and then six rotating? Like, for example, he threw out a a look about like what possible opponents could look like uh, in these like three game situations where you have your three major opponents that you face every single year and then your six rotating ones and for Oklahoma your your three ones that you would face every single year would be Texas Missouri and Florida and and just because of the for the sake of competition so what is your take on that I was initially for the pause, but I think this three permanent opponent approach is probably where I'm kind of leaning at the moment. Um, just from a football standpoint, I'm obviously the nine games would be more fun from a fan fan standpoint, but having three permanent opponents um, easier for, for OU fans to kind of predict when they should travel or where they're going to travel. Um, but I would love for those opponents to be like Texas, uh, Arkansas and like LSU, something like that, something more regional where you don't have to travel as far as like going to like Florida or South Carolina or something like that. So I think, I think I'm for the three uh, permanent opponents and they're rotating at this point. And it, it just, it's so interesting to me because the sec now that they're adding Oklahoma, now that they're adding Texas, I mean like who eventually one day will be good uh, is like, Hey, we should have our top competition play our top competition more often instead of like letting Alabama stomp over everybody in that league <laughs> for however many years and not really playing anybody in the East. I mean, like they have, they had so many teams and if you're playing everybody in your own side of the division and only a few guys on the other side or two, two other teams on the other side and the rest is just filler. Like, you're not going to play Georgia that often. You're not going to play Florida that often. You're not going to play other challenging teams um, in the East. And it's just so intriguing to me, like, how all that is going to work out in the end. Um, I Sometimes I say, like, maybe you could do, like, three and five rotating. I like the eight-game schedule. Um, you get four... You, you get three and then you get five. And so like what there's going to be how many teams in the SEC at that point? What? 16, 16. Yeah. So you are seeing every single team in that conference home and away um, at least once every, I guess, 15 years. Ugh. <laughs> Roughly. Yeah. I mean, it's like it's less than 15 years. It's, it's within 10 years, it's within a decade. Probably every five, five to six. Yeah. Gosh. 
Oh, that's right. Duh. I'm an idiot. I can't math right. Yeah, because I would put you in three different tiers. So, I mean, like, that sounds reasonable, right? It'd be fun. I think uh, anything is better than the current schedule. So I'll just put that out there right now. That's fair. Anything is better than just going to TCU, Texas Tech, Iowa State. I mean, Iowa State's a good team, but it's I mean, kind of boring. It's Ames. Yeah. Yeah. It's no, boring. I, yeah. Like now you get the Grove. Now you get Tuscaloosa. Uh, man, you get you get a ton of things. You, you get the twelfth man you, again. You got Death Valley. Uh, in like in instead of like going just like Fort Worth and it being like really awkward. <laughs> Lubbock. Like, yeah, God. Waco. It's gonna be it's gonna be a good time, especially for players that experienced Big Twelve play and are now gonna experience SEC play as far as just like stadiums and fans in general. Um, going on to something else. So Oklahoma just experienced a flip from the 2023 class in Cozart, the wide receiver. And Oklahoma doesn't have that many wide receiver recruits in or really hot on the board. And I guess my first question about this is, is this something that Oklahoma is realistically going to have to take pretty much like, I'm not saying an L, but I'm saying Oklahoma is definitely not going to have high level recruiting guys specifically maybe in some areas um and they're gonna have to rely on the portal again next year for like wide receivers and stuff like that because the recruiting class might be pretty average this year because it's a brand new coaching staff there's two parts of this there's uh there's the new staff and kind of getting their feet under them and, and building those re- those relationships and and convincing these kids, hey, you know, I know it's not Lincoln Riley's offense anymore, but we're still going to throw the ball quite a bit, and we're going to throw it effectively. Um, that's going to take a little bit of time. But also, you know, looking at the uh, 2023 class, I mean, the talent is kind of all stacked up top. So you have like a Brandon Ennis, uh, Zachariah Branch, uh, Jalen Hell comes to mind. Um, past that, I'm just not in love with the talent in this this class. So. Maybe it's a little bit of they're struggling to kind of convince these kids to take a chance on them so early, but also maybe they just can't find the right talent at the moment. And so you think that maybe that once the season gets started and when a product, a product is on the field and on display that recruits could, especially on the offensive side of the ball, that's what people are most worried about that recruits might gravitate and be more open towards Oklahoma maybe, right? Right. I mean, it's like we saw with, with Alex Grinch, um, you know, initially he's not stacking these, you know, four and five star guys um, until he proves something on the field. So um, once Oklahoma gets out there, they can show, you know, show some tape to some, some players. I think it, it drastically improves, but also again, at the moment, you're not in love with the talent at the mid-level level of this class. And this is something that I've thought about a couple of times. Jackson Arnold, he's like a big, he's like, he's like a legitimate, like four-star, actual very good quarterback. And usually quarterbacks are the first ones you want to recruit and to get in the fold because they're the ones that are helping lead the way recruit for you. And it doesn't seem like Jackson Arnold maybe has that disposition um, of that kind of guy that is like trying to like tweet at dudes, get at dudes, hitting them up and trying to get them to come on visits. Like as previous senior quarterbacks have been, um, is there any, like, of course it's like there is, is, is there any takeaway? Um, but like, what does that say about Arnold as a quarterback? But it, it really, I guess, is there any takeaway from that other than that? He just isn't that kind of guy yet. I think Oklahoma fans have been a little bit spoiled with, with kind of how uh, Caleb Williams did his recruitment and, and through all these, uh, these visits together and kind of organized all these recruits to show up at the same time. Um, Jackson Arnold obviously isn't that guy, but He's not a guy that's just sitting back either. I mean, he's, he's recruiting a guy, uh, Peyton Bowens, who's his teammate, uh, safety committed to Notre Dame. Um, you know, he's, he was recruiting uh, Ashton Kozar at the late 11, a um, couple other receivers. So maybe he's not as vocal, um, but he's not really sitting back. And it, 
probably because he's just not a lot of flash. And that's kind of what you're getting like out of maybe a, out of a Texas kid, because I know even Spencer Rattler was really big in the recruiting game. And, and maybe that's just like a thing that Lincoln Riley told his quarterbacks that they needed to do. I mean, like that again, and that's entirely possible. I mean, Baker Mayfield, I think that's just his natural disposition was to always go after guys. Um, Kyla Murray, he never needed that because players gravitated towards him because, right. you know, you gravitate towards like the best player in the room and he is clearly the best player in the room for wherever, pretty much many places, wherever he walks, uh, college and NFL now these days. Um, I think you're right. I think it could also be a Lincoln Riley thing where, you know, he gets a guy committed and he's probably on his phone like, hey, tweet this out. You know, yep. we got to make sure we are in the spotlight at all times. Yeah, just like keeping yourself in the forefront of the media. And you know, like and maybe maybe that's why some like other like other quarterbacks tweeting at like other like recruits maybe seemed a little bit forced. It's quite possible. Um, I mean, Jackson Arnold, he's not he's, it's not like he hasn't done zero of that. I mean, I've seen him. Like you know, like interact with recruits and stuff like that uh, about joining them, but it just doesn't seem as overt. Um, but maybe I'm just like diving into that too much. But Oklahoma has a variety of running backs that they're after, uh, especially for this class. It feels like Dylan Edwards has been a guy that is like Oklahoma fans have been waiting to commit for like the longest time out of Kansas. And he's kind of like a water bug, kind of a, a running back, a guy that's a little bit smaller, faster, can use his hands uh, really, really well. Reminds you kind of like Roy Finch, Deuce Vaughn kind of vibes. But you also get Richard Young and Dalen Smothers. Um, Young is a Florida State lean. Smothers is a five-star Alabama lean. That's from Florida. Uh, they're getting all these guys on campus in June. It, which which of them do you like the most and which of them probably makes the most sense on OU's roster right now? Well, Richard Young is probably going to be the one you're going to like the most. He's just the most talented. Um, you know, he's ready to compete at the college level, you know, day one, just as far as his physicality. Um, but you look at guys that have potential and you look at like a, like a Dalen Smothers or Dylan Edwards, who are both – kind of similar running backs in a way. I mean, they're both really good route runners. Uh, both have some speed. The biggest difference would be Dalen Smothers is about three inches taller. Um, got a better build to him. But you look at what Oklahoma needs, they'll probably end up taking two uh, running backs anyways. Dylan Edwards is a guy that I think you'd want to take a risk on um, just because he is so explosive. Um, obviously, the size, you look at him, um, can get you in trouble. I mean, he's 5'8", 5'9", 165 at the moment. That's just not going to hold up. Um, I mean, in the Big 12, it's kind of iffy. In the SEC, it's just not going to hold up that way. Um, Dylan Smothers, a little bit less on the speed, but you'll take, you know, a 5'11", a six-foot running back that has a D1 build better than a, a guy that's 5'8". Could you see Dylan Edwards, if, he, if his – is I guess plight at running back doesn't work out too well. Could you see them transferring him or repositioning him to a slot? Yeah, I think he plays a little bit of slot um, for his high school, just a little bit, not not a ton, but right, but still he, enough, you know. His footwork and his versatility is enough where he could probably make a name for himself. Man, this offense is going to be so unique. I, I I've been keep I keep, I keep on watching film on it and like the amount of looks you get is so different uh for you know oklahoma's past regime i thought it was funny uh the other day on twitter they're like who's stopping this in talking about usc and all the oklahoma fans were like chiming in like well benny I mean, wiley benny wiley uh, and I, I was like well umbrella coverage always worked uh john haycock and dave aranda beat his <laughs> ass on the regular uh so you might ask Dan them Lanning. And it was so funny because I was looking through the comments and they're like, dang, all these Oklahoma fans are just like straight up giving, <laughs> giving out they have all the receipts and they're giving, giving all the information on like Tosh Lupoy. Yeah, probably, no, seriously. Yeah. It just, just be physical, you know, it's, it's just like random just stuff like that. Front. And that's, it's so intriguing uh, to me about that. And 
in talking about and, and we're talking we're talking about Texas again. Um, but like let's see, like let's let's say that you know Texas and USC end up playing, right? Who do you root for in that matchup? Or do you just um, watch to watch? I'm trying to think of something I could actually say that's like kind of polite. I probably wouldn't end up watching. Actually, I would watch it. I think you would go with Texas. Mm. Right? Interesting. Because if Texas beats USC, you you have to think that OU and Texas are going to play every single year in the SEC. I don't think they would have jumped over that conference and just thrown that that rivalry away. So that was probably a handshake agreement. You know, we're going to come to the SEC, but we're going to keep this game intact every single year. Mm-hmm. Um, so Texas beats USC and you get a chance to beat Texas. You're essentially beating both, right? Transitive property. Yes. That's how that works. I mean, like it's all, it's, it's, it's fun. I mean, I know people are that are out there that said, you know, there are people out there that think that if USC is a good season, the Oklahoma fans will like, for some reason melt down, which I think is like one of the oddest sentiments. Cause I've not, I don't think USC is going to have a bad season though. I don't think, I don't think they will either. I mean, like, look, like look at who they brought in they, from the portal. No, no tampering involved, but like, look who they brought in. I mean, they don't have an offensive line. They help that much, but when you have much talent around, you're still going to be successful, especially in that, in a very, very weak conference. Like that conference is like, look at USC schedule. It's so horrifyingly bad. I mean, like it's worse than the big 12. You like, you have your good teams like Utah, Oregon's not even on there. I don't even think they play Oregon this season. Um, so like you've got basically really good K state in Utah in Stanford who can be physical and that's really it. And Stanford really hasn't been up to snuff the <laughs> yeah. past however many years And UCLA is there and they're, they're pretty good. They're pretty okay. Um, for me, like if I'm watching it, I'm not really rooting for anybody. Um, I mean, like I, I hate Texas with the passion and I always want them to lose, but at the same time, I'm, Again, like I explained this, I explained this uh, for like on a podcast a long time ago. Oklahomans are very loyal for a reason. Like it's it's quite, it is quite ingrained into their their history uh, from the Dust Bowl. Like if you get left high and dry, people are pissed. They get angry and they hold those grudges. And that you saw the <laughs> same exact thing with Kevin Durant. You're seeing the you're seeing the exact same thing. If you leave Oklahomans high and dry. When they need you, where where you were expected to be there, and you suddenly dipped out, people are going to lose their damn minds. And so, I obviously wouldn't root for USC. I would not be rooting for Lincoln Riley. I would not be rooting for that entire staff. Um, I mean, like, I hope Caleb um, Williams does well with his career, but like, <laughs> it's just like, come on, man. Uh, Can like, I change my answer a little bit? Sure. So if we're talking like Texas USC three four years from now, okay, I would probably go with USC because you have to think Lincoln Riley is a pretty loyal guy outside of his decommitment from Oklahoma overnight, but he likes his guys. He likes uh, Benny Wiley. So three four years after you see what we saw with Oklahoma and kind of losing that physicality um, in the weight room, USC beats Texas while they're in the SEC. With Benny Wiley, that that'd be fun. Yeah, I'd be about that. That that's a win. That's a win. As this, and especially like since people view this as like the West Coast coming back to live, uh, coming back to life uh, from basically college football purgatory, unless your name is Oregon, in which Oregon has screwed up like over the last however many seasons. Um, Bill Connolly, who does a lot of SP plus, uh projections and just just a lot of sp SP plus numbers in general uh put out projections for the season um and of course like th- this is just like preseason rankings right like there's nothing to really like look at until you actually see the product on the field but i thought it was really int- intriguing because sp plus projections for this coming fall um he has oklahoma at number five um slotted in in behind teams like Ohio State, Alabama, Georgia, and Michigan, and in front of teams like Clemson, Notre Dame, Texas A&M, Tennessee, and Wisconsin. 
Is there anything to buy into that? Or is that just a guy that <laughs> is just running numbers of who's returning as far as production and what those things could possibly look like in conference play? Uh, I think it's a little too early to tell kind of this far out what, what Oklahoma is going to look like, let alone anyone else in the country. Um, but Oklahoma being five, that's, that's pretty confident for, for a team that just kind of got gutted with its, with its uh, coaching staff and is replacing a lot of key pieces, both with the NFL draft and transfers. Um, but it also shows that, you know, you look at Jeff Levy's system, you look at Brent Venable's system. Those are systems that a lot of people feel confident in. So if you can plug the talent into it, people think it's going to work. And, and like what I'm looking at this chart, it's just Oklahoma is, of course, going to drop off offensively, but get up defensively. And that's what makes them not really move to move that much from that top 10 from last year. Uh, what those original projections were either because Oklahoma was continuously in the top 10 in S&P SP plus projections, but that's because their offense was really, really amazing. And then especially when you had Ronnie Perkins on the field, uh, their defense wasn't, was very, very good too. Ronnie Perkins with K nine and Jalen Redmond and all those dudes. And so they, they, their, their averages were pretty awesome, but this one suggests that the offense takes maybe a step back. Well, the defense takes a step forward and like, again, it's just all like, like all preseason polls. I mean, like it's fun to look at and it's fun to play with the numbers and it's fun to think about what the possibilities are. But until that is on my TV screen, until it comes to fruition, <laughs> I, I don't believe in any of that hype. I mean, like, are you trying not to believe in any of the hype or is it just something that you're actively just like regularly thinking, let's see what happens. I'm trying not to buy into it because I think there will be some, some growing pains with this program um, for the first year or two. So, but I'm also pretty excited what it's going to look like, because I think you look at a program that that was obviously winning quite a bit, but now they are geared to win at the highest level. Um, so I'm just pretty excited to see that, that product on the field, but I don't want to buy in too early. Thanks, sir. I think it's fair. And I, and I think that's more than appropriate, right? Um, but man, that's that's that is that is all I have for the podcast. I mean, like we we made it this far. We're an hour in. Do you have anything else? Anything else for 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 you? Uh, I think they're beginning renovations on the bud. That's what I was told and also saw. So I think they are either retrofitting it or they're just going to tear it down and build something new in that area. So that will be if something to watch over the off season. And I'm pretty sure that's going to be like offices come. and stuff for the new staff so nothing crazy but it's just like it's those intentional decisions that that turnip seed was brought to oklahoma to do uh to make the product better uh to make the facilities right. better for that product to be better and that's something to be said for what oklahoma is trying to accomplish on that side of the ball or on that not at that side of the ball but on that side of like the spectrum as far as sports go but um, they want a strong front office, essentially. Of course. You want that strong front office, and you want those facilities to back it up. I mean, like, Oklahoma, Bob Stoops will tell you, when they first got to Oklahoma, they were operating at a trailer. So, like, they, that they didn't, their, their locker rooms were crap. And they're better, their facility, of course, the better they performed on the field, the better their facilities were, too. And that attracted more recruits. And then, so you, you, take, you take a tour through Alabama, in their facilities, which that turnip seed was a part of the Alabama rebuild. And you would go I think to he made the recruiting center or the recruiting office, at least. Yeah. For Alabama. And like you go to Clemson and look what, look at what they built over there. And you come to Oklahoma, which already has facilities, but now you're starting to differ differentiate. And again, Oklahoma football is king that's where all the money gets made for the majority of the other programs uh, other than softball pretty much uh basketball breaks even ish uh and so like even even then getting better players in those facilities is gonna get you more money on the field and get you more success in other sports as well so i'm excited for that um that's it for us i guess we join discord please i, I mean i'll drop the link in the bio per usual 
um it's just a really good community guys it's free we pass our information around all the time and also just a good community to talk about random things and we have a lot of other podcasts in there that we link in there like with the just okay boys which are was his which that's a great podcast to listen to uh, is there a thunder podcast in there as well i'm pretty sure i think there's a thunder podcast in there um we have yeah, uh, you have the Just inside of you podcast. Yeah, I think so. That's a good question. But I mean, like, they're, they're, it's just it's, it's it's just a lot of stuff. Like, even USFL, even in a USFL channel, <laughs> like that's that's where we're at. Like for real. And so check out the Discord. Um, link will be in the bio. It's only good for like ten days though. So if you want a link, just tweet it. Tweet it. Tweet at one of us. Um, you can find us at crimsonandcreammachine.com. But if you want to tweet, tweet at one of us, you can tweet at a, me, Kamara Marabi, and at, at, a, K, uh, at K Marabi and CCM. You can tweet at Steven at, at OEFDATESB. Uh, you can find us and follow us on the regular account at CC Machine. You can follow uh, Jack at J Larry Shields. Uh, again, thanks guys for really uh, being a part of this. Really. Uh, making our listenership go up and just really supporting, especially me and Steven since like you know, heck when we were the we're off podcasting for Rough Riders since 2015 uh, and still going seven years later, but being very, very special. So thanks for your continued latest listenership and we will check you guys later. <laughs>